Just a quick note before we begin, the sound quality of these first few episodes is not up to the standard that we would like. Please do bear with us. I promise the quality does get better. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to My Friend Has Never Listened to a Podcast. Believe it or not, up until recently, my friend James had never listened to a podcast. Unlike me, my mate Ollie is totally addicted to podcasts. And the point of this podcast is for her to convince me that my life is not complete without the minute. So every week she'll be giving me a podcast to review and then we'll be discussing it here on the show. Now, Ollie, I know you won't mind me saying that you are a massive nerd. You've got multiple degrees from lots of different places in philosophy, psychology, and you currently work as a business psychologist. You're also an associate lecturer at Central Queensland University, currently living in Ely Beach, but you hear the accent, you know where she's from. So she is a massive Manchester United fan, people. Yes, I am. Be prepared. (laughs) James is a Kiwi at heart, but currently resides in Brisbane, Australia. He runs his own cultural transformation consultancy and is a massive sports and exercise junkie, but he's also a massive foodie. And like all Kiwis in the world, he's a huge All Blacks fan. James is a former actor, and no doubt throughout this podcast, you'll see some of his performances a little bit OTT. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're really selling me, Ollie. So Ollie, last week you tasked me with listening to a series called Shreds. So what I'd like you to do for our listeners is give them a bit of an overview about what Shreds is about. There'll be lots of spoiler alerts in this podcast. So if you want to go away and listen to Shreds first and then come back to mine and James's review, then we invite you to do that. Or you can just stay. Or just stay. (laughs) The podcast itself comes with quite a lot of strong language and hopefully there won't be as much strong language in mine and James's review. The podcast does involve the murder of a young woman. So if that topic is triggering for you, please do take care whilst listening to this podcast. Shreds the Podcast is about a murder that takes place in the 1980s of a young lady by the name of Lynette White. Even though a white man was seen leaving the scene, after some unrest in the town where the murder took place, Butown in Wales, five African-American males are arrested and are imprisoned for the murder until their conviction is overturned. So James, what did you think of Shreds? Ollie, this podcast had my blood boiling. I seriously could not. It just made me so angry. And this, I don't want to spoil too much of the podcast for our listeners, but there is just so much in this podcast that will have you sitting there clenching your fists and just shaking them at the wall, wanting justice for people and wanting people to get their comeuppance. And I just was really impacted by the unjustness in this podcast. It really, really got my blood boiling. I am going to spoil it for our listeners. There is no (laughs) justice. Even when they try and prosecute the police officers involved in the original murder investigation, at the very end, it all collapses and they all get off scot-free. It is unbelievable that that has been allowed to take place in the British justice system and makes me think no wonder people don't trust defence lawyers, attorneys, police because... Yeah, it just makes you so pissed off and, and, and annoyed at the fact that a system like this allows what I can only give as my opinion as criminals 
like the police were in this particular investigation to walk free and serve no no time or oh it's just so frustrating and what was your most shocking moment well for me the one of the most shocking moments in the podcast i mean there's so many just pick one yeah (laughs) for me for me, one of the most shocking moments in the podcast, it starts off right at the beginning. You've got a, a white man who's been seen to be around the area of the crime. The with blood only, on him. With, with blood on him, right? The only suspect. He stabbed her like 50 times, didn't he? Yeah, so he walked out of this place with, with, with blood on his hands and potentially on his clothes and whatnot. But one, one suspect who was a white individual for 10 months and then all of a sudden with these four miraculous statements that have now changed they then pin the case on these five black gentlemen. And that for me is just, it's shocking, but it's also something that I believe to be real common. Like I think it happens way too often. Definitely. And something that I think this podcast did really well was provide the background to that occurring. Mm. So the first episode, I think, paints a really vivid picture of life in Wales, in Bewtown. Tiger Bay. Tiger Bay in the 1980s, all the clubs and the bars and just how influences and the reggae bars i really i was like when they were describing i was like that sounds like a cool place i'd like to to visit it so the background to all this occurring is there was some unrest between the african-american community and the police Mm. and then it almost seemed as if the pinning of lynette white's murder on these five african-americans was the police getting their own back. I don't know. Did you feel like that, James? Well, my first, I I think I told you earlier in the week, Ollie, my first inkling from that first episode was that this was some sort of big conspiracy theory because they talked about how they called it the docks or Tiger Bay Mm -hmm. was a really low brow area, you know, prostitution, those kind of things existing. And I was immediately thinking they've done this on purpose. Someone high up in the government or in the police (laughs) have like murdered this girl as a way of trying to reform that particular area. I was set from the beginning that this was some big conspiracy theory and that it was orchestrated from really, really high up. I wasn't far off, but... (laughs) but. The lengths the police went to in terms of getting false statements out of Lynette's friends and not false statements where people... I mean, a couple of people said, oh yeah, I did see one of the convicted men near where the murder took place. But some of them were admitting their false confessions. They were saying, I went into the room where Lynette had been murdered. The murderers put the knife in my hand and I was forced to stab her a couple more times, therefore implicating me in the murder, which is why I didn't come forward. And it's just unbelievable that the police could get somebody to make up such a ridiculous ridiculous story but they didn't get them to make it up they they told them what they wanted them to say like the police had made this up they'd they'd crafted this massive story uh to sort of infiltrate these guys and they've created these elaborate like really really hard to believe stories and convinced these people that that's what they'd, they'd found and you later on find that they did some pretty shocking things to get these people to make those confessions and and to offer those statements so it doesn't really surprise you that these people were willing to be complicit in it because they were told things like, you've got a biracial child and your biracial child, if you go to jail, will end up being beaten and showing her pictures of these kids Mm -hmm. and telling the other guy that he'll end up in jail if he's not part of it. Before we go into like talking about some of the characters, I'm keen to know what was your shocking moment? I think the most shocking moment for me was hearing the forced confession from Stephen Miller, who was Lynette's boyfriend at the time, hearing the police five days 
hammering on him. You were there. You did it. Tell us the truth. We know you were there. It gave me flashbacks to season two of Making a Murderer. And similar to Brendan Dassey, Stephen Miller was shown to have the IQ of a much younger, uh, like a young teenager. And they are far more susceptible to suggestion and bullying. And to be honest, if I had been in that situation, I too probably would have said, yeah, I did it. Fine. Just... I, I just want to get five, out of this room. Five days, 19 tapes, five different interview sessions where they were coming in four people at a time. Good cop, bad cop, as they called it. And that Welsh accent, I was just getting so pissed off oh. with that copper who was in there like, you did it and you did this and you did that <laughs> and, and you and you know you did and you saw it. And I was just like, Ugh. I thought I liked the Welsh accent before this podcast. And I do. Like, I mean, it's so melodical. But when you hear this police officer berating this guy saying, yeah, you did it. And how dare you stand over her? And he's like, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. You have got something to do. I've got nothing to lie to you about. Yes, you no, have. No, I have not. You have? What have I got to lie to you about? Because if you tell us you were in the room, you know for the fact that you were there with others in the room. Right. But I was right. not there. I was not there. You were there. I was not there. You, you, you've told us a pack of everything we have said to you of witnesses and all. And so how do you know they're, they're not lying? How do you know they're not lying? Why should they lie? Why should I lie? Why should they lie? Why should I lie? Why should they lie? Because they want the whole truth coming out of this terrible, awful like me. crime. Like me. You don't. Just hearing all those accents from back home, they actually, I know they probably grated on you more because of what they were saying and how they were treating somebody. Mm. I loved all the accents in this. Oh, no, no, no. And don't get me wrong. I'm a big Gavin and Stacey fan. I love <laughs> I love the Welsh accent. I, I do, I do. Are you doing all right, Ness? You know, like, I, 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 I think I, I genuinely love the Welsh accent. But that, that one police officer, I just, I've got his voice stuck in my head about how he just was on him and on him and on him and never let up. And he was the voice you heard. For me, he's the voice that cracked Stephen Miller. And therefore, someone that I think deserves some comeuppance. He needs something that sort of makes him accountable for what he did. I think one of the, the favourite accents was, I think it was Kevin O'Neill, when he was describing having to reinvestigate the whole situation. The way he says fundamental. 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 It was brilliant. It was so good. And interestingly, part of the reason why these three men that were convicted were released, I think after four years, because... There was a, a Crime Watch documentary made. And by yeah. the way, I totally agree with Paul from True Crime Enthusiast that they should bring back Crime Watch. And it's an absolute disgrace that they've scrapped Crime Watch. But anyway, I think the big doco was the Panorama episode that really showed this is a high level investigatory BBC documentary into how these innocent men have been found guilty of a crime. They were nowhere near. I mean, one of them had 13 alibis. For being somewhere else. Yep. And yet they Not use, even in Wales. No, no, no. Outside of the district, right? And they use one person's, what we found out to be later, false testimony mm -hmm. to actually convict them. I find that extremely hard to stomach. And I don't know how that works. Just don't get it. But I suppose what it shows is that when corrupt, and I want to make this clear, this isn't a vendetta against police officers in general or the system, but when corrupt people in positions of power do things like this, they'll go to any lengths to kind of make sure it sticks and to mm -hmm. keep it working, even doing really, really obvious criminal activity to make it work. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really disgusting that, and I think it, it speaks to the wider piece, especially back then. And I just can imagine with the lack of CCTV and, you know, the lack of all these kind of things, it was just one person's word that it was all you needed to really 
Well, it was a few people's words, wasn't it? Because it was Stephen who gave Mm. the first false confession and then they got the neighbour to say that they had seen them and opened the door to them. And then it was the person who owned the flat, Lynette's friends, apparently went over to the flat and saw her after she'd been murdered. It was just unbelievable the lengths that they went to to get these false confessions in order to convict these five. And it made no sense to me. Mm that three of the five were convicted. Yeah, because what, what what was really interesting, later in the series, you actually hear from John Acti. When they first brought him in, they brought him in as like a witness from the outside, right? Just looking for his account. And when he didn't give them the account that they wanted, it was interesting that the day after he went from being that suspect, although he'd been nothing involved up until that time, to all of a sudden now being one of the five. I find that really, really interesting. Yeah, and charged for, for the murder. Yeah, uh, it was horrific. Yeah. So lots of baddies. Did you have any favourite characters in this uh, one? I, you know, I thought Stephen Miller had himself really, really well. Pineapple. Uh, pineapple, yeah, as they called him. Who doesn't look how he sounds. I'm I, I, I going to put that out there. I Googled him and had a look, and I probably didn't expect him to look the way that he did. And it really sort of... You are obsessed with the way people look, James. I no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to see them. Like, I, I Googled them all because, you know, they were talking about uh, John Acti um, being an awesome rugby player and uh, how he looked. I think they referenced some of them looking good-looking and other, other people looking ugly. So I'm just curious to always <laughs> see what, what people look like. But yeah, when I looked at him, I think he speaks so well out of all of the guys. I can just imagine how hard it would have been for him to wear the fact that he'd been the person responsible for all these people going to jail. One of my favorite characters, though, in the season, definitely the scientist. I've forgotten his name. Oh, Kevin, he's mine. Well, you talk about why he was your favorite, because I reckon it's real similar. I nerded out on the fact that science came in and saved the day. Yeah, Yeah, it was pretty incredible the level of reinvestigation that he went to to show that these five men, no way could they have committed this murder because Mm. Lynette had been stabbed 50 times and they were saying that five people were present, yet none of them traipsed blood out of this little dark, dingy flat. And he went back to the crime scene and reenacted the darkness and where he would touch in the room. And then basically went and peeled back layers, like 12 years worth of pain and found a spot of blood behind the skirting board that had been painted over with gloss. So it was this DNA was perfectly pristine. I had no idea that DNA could be immortalized like that yeah. through, through paint. I thought, I thought that was so fascinating. Yeah. And he went back and looked at some of the exhibits in terms of there was some cellophane on the floor and some other pieces of doors oh, that had been box, painted. Yeah, and things that the door frame wrappers, that had been painted yep. over and was basically able to get this DNA profile. And that actually exonerated, if you remember, Mr. X, who mm. was, they were calling the cellophane man, which was this guy that they were then trying to pin it on. The first and, suspect that they had, right? Yeah. Yeah. How did they end up matching Jeffrey Gaffors? So... The, the way that they got Gaffor's DNA, I think it was a bit by chance because he had a really unique DNA profile. Then looked in the criminal database to see if there was any, what they called similar DNA profiles or... There's a name for that. Bear with me. I'm trying to find it. Familial? Familial blood types? Familial, yeah. Yeah. Mitochondrial comes from oh. your mother. All right. Well, I don't think I heard that one, but I'll, I'll trust you, nerd. <laughs> All right. Nerd <laughs> um, out. So, so... Um, So what does that mean? It means it comes only from your mother's side, does it? Yeah, because I remember now how they got to him. Wasn't it his nephew 
yep. had been involved in like a joyride. Yeah, and he just was like by 15. Chance, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just by chance that they found him when they went and interviewed the son and they said, oh, is your dad here? And they said, no, my dad's dead. And yep. I, my heart immediately dropped and I was oh. like, no. <laughs> but you, you tell them what happened next, Elves. Well, because of the familial DNA, they were able to identify that it could have been another male relative of this 15-year-old. And it turns out that Jeffrey Gafford was his uncle. They tested his DNA. Did they do anything undercover to get his DNA? I can't remember. They went in and got a mouth swab from him immediately yeah. and then put him under surveillance and watched what he did. And I, oh, I mean, this is yeah. where he then... Oh, take 62 paracetamol. Oh, took the coward's way out of it all, didn't he? After sitting there for 15 years mm-hmm. watching these people go in and out of jail, I was like, you're disgusting, mate, to then yeah. try and take the coward's way out by committing suicide after 15 years. I mean... He said, didn't he, when they said, we're arresting you for the murder of Lynette White, he was like, I've been waiting for you. Mm, I've been waiting for you. But again, a lot of that couldn't be used because he was under the influence of those drugs because they they had to take him to hospital, get his stomach pumped. So he was under the influence. So all the things... No, I think that when they took him to hospital, they said he's nowhere near taken 62. I can't remember, but I remember him saying... he lied about that. Oh, I did it. I definitely did it. I'm interested to see if God or the devil waits for me on the Mm. other side. I was like, well, we know who... (laughs) <laughs> sorry <laughs> that was just <laughs> yeah anyway <laughs> and and really unfortunately Lynette's father Terry never saw that justice happen mm. he died before that occurred in fact so many of them have passed away I think that's the thing about this particular case you're now looking back on something that happened in the 80s and you're looking at like a 30 year plus span of the impact of this on their lives. And you sometimes wonder how people end up in situations that they do. And I know I was having a background in psychology, you know, a lot about choice and people's ability to choose what they do. And yet for me, this is a real strong indicator that there are things that can happen in your life, events that can happen in your life that can be massive influences over the decisions that you do make. Huge, huge, huge influences. Yeah. Because was it Dollar who, even when he was released, just got hooked on drugs? I think and most was, of them did. Like yeah. John just Atkin to cope. Up- even though they were released, they just they still had this stigma in town that they had killed Lynette White. Couldn't go out to town without people kind of looking at them. What I found really alarming and a little bit sad, really. So the murder actually happened on Valentine's Day, if you remember rightly. Mm. And so for years afterwards, I'm talking 20, 30 years later, they're still getting Valentine's cards, basically accusing them of the murder what was the the rhyme roses are red violets are blue you know what you did how's waiting for you oh god good work james i would never have remembered I'm, that i'm just i could <laughs> be making it up but it's something along those lines and i mean maybe you wrote those valentine cards james <laughs> calm down <laughs> Uh, although I'd probably be tempted to write a few to those police officers, to be honest. Oh, the way they got off as well was just so lame. It was, you know, the judge saying, oh, we can't proceed because there hasn't been full disclosure and they all get acquitted. And then two days later, it's like, oh, actually, no, we did do full disclosure. And there was no need for that to be. this is what's making me so angry. This is what makes me so pissed off about the judicial system. Now, they talked about that being one of the biggest banes of the legal system's existence is that there's a a process called disclosure. Now, if you don't know what disclosure is, disclosure is... All our listeners will know what disclosure is. Sure. (laughs) I I, I didn't. I had to sit there and and listen to the episode again. Go on then, give us an explanation. So disclosure is when you've got to hand all your evidence over to the other side. And what they said in this particular case the police were making it seem as though they didn't have all of the evidence that had been disclosed. They were like, oh, we haven't found that. It's been shredded. So that then tarnishes the case. Not anything to do with whether they're guilty or not, but it tarnishes the ability to judge the case fairly. And when you talk about fairness, 
the fact that they then got off because of that is not fair. Yeah, I've been sitting here all morning just really <laughs> stewing on the fact that these bastards got away with something like this. It just, it happens all too often in life and it's not fair. The police then tried to sue for compensation. They hadn't spent a minute in prison. Even the Cardiff 3, they started off as the Cardiff 5, but then they became the Cardiff 3. Mm. They were given... I think £500,000 each compensation, but no apology for no. the police. Uh, not until much later, because there was that weak apology that happened after the BBC documentary that you talked about. Oh, yeah. There was some sort of thing 20 years later, not from the original person who started some of them the investigation. were probably dead by then. They were, though, and this is the thing. I feel as though in society, there's this kind of red tape around all of these things. We release information much later so that when it's released, it doesn't have as much of an impact because no one's really thinking about the Carter Five in... I'd never even heard of it. And yet the case that actually went with those police happened in 2011. And so they do these things to allow time to pass and people to no longer be worried or concerned. Ugh. Anyway, as you can tell, I'm very <laughs> affected by this. Thanks, Ollie, for recommending this podcast to me. You've Thank really, you for ruining my last week. Yeah, you've really put something in my stomach that just doesn't go away. Because I was actually hoping, genuinely hoping that there'd be a happy ending. I, the whole time I was listening, oh, I was like, please, sorry. please. Please, and by episode 13, I was like, no. <laughs> it's just... Sorry, dude. It does go to speak, though, that probably the reason why I have never listened to these kind of things or kind of steered away from true crime is because they don't necessarily have happy endings. And they, they do leave you with this kind of feeling of frustration. And You have to come and join me on the train of depression now, James, about the state of the world and I the want justice to rally system. For justice. James, should we give Shreds a rating? I definitely think we should. The thing that Kerry Jackson did really well with this podcast was that she used local people to record the music she was of a real similar age to Lynette she talks about the fact she could have been on a very similar path to Lynette mm -hmm. and yet obviously had, had a, a very different life I think she does a really good job in terms of highlighting injustice happens it doesn't always mean that the people who committed that injustice have to like face up to it or own up to it she does a really good job of telling the story the true story of the Cardiff Five also painting a, a, a picture about Lynette other than just being a Cardiff prostitute as the yeah. news like to label it agreed I love the way that it's been produced I love the way that it's been put together but it's really left me with this feeling of annoyance at the system and of the man or whatever uh -oh. <laughs> you know? I'm gonna have to review the list of future recommendations I think because I feel like I have ruined your life for the last week you've been listening to the Claremont murder trials as well I'm guessing that's probably yeah it just gets my stuff just gets my stomach in knots and I just yeah but hey I think maybe through it there's there's some learning for me you know in terms of the fact that if I'm someone who's really really wired to to look at fairness and not and, and identify when things aren't fair in the world lots of things happen that aren't fair and maybe for me there's a bit of understanding through all of this that yes sometimes life isn't fair and I've got to maybe deal with that a little bit better so yeah who knows maybe through this education I was there's a there's a chance for me to do some learning as well yeah maybe you'll become like Bob from the truth and justice podcast and you'll start your own truth and justice army to try and get all these innocent people exonerated from prison um, might have to listen to that first and then, <laughs> and, and then potentially join that army and see what happens. Again, similar to you, I love the way Kerry paints the very vivid pictures of Butown and what was happening in the 1980s and how objectively she talks about the facts and mm. leaves all her opinions out of it, unlike you and I doing this podcast, <laughs> which are just riddled with our own personal <laughs> prejudices. She does a really good job and I love all the accents all the way through. Similar to you, 
just so disappointed in the British justice system. You need to sort it out. I think what you said is fair, but I think we also need to appreciate the fact that this isn't just the British justice system where this is happening. I think it's happening all over the world. Oh yeah, for sure. And I have a lot of respect for the police. I have lots of friends who are in the police and I recognise that this was just a handful of bad cops. This is Mm. not the majority of of the police. I have a new recommendation. I have a new podcast for you to listen to next week, James. All right, Oz. Well, it's only fair that if you're going to recommend me to listen to a podcast, you've got to sell it to me. Okay. We went British last week with Shreds. This Mm -hmm. week we are going to New Zealand. The podcast that I'm going to recommend is part of the Unravel podcast and it's season four. It's called Snowball. Snowball. (laughs) Okay. I don't know what Snowball, I can't remember what the title has to do with the actual podcast itself, but it's hosted by my namesake, Ollie Wards. It's actually a podcast that he's made in relation to a situation that happened with his brother. Snowball is told from Ollie Ward's perspective about his brother, Greg, who marries this American dream girl who actually Mm -hmm. meets in the UK. And they move back to New Zealand and they set up a cafe in New Zealand together. Greg's parents put all their savings into this new business venture to support Mm. their son and his new wife. I suppose that's where the name Snowball comes from because then the whole thing just snowballs out of control. Uh, And Ollie basically follows the unraveling of this situation and ends up in America conducting interviews. And it's super interesting really fascinating and also quite sad well i'm, I'm partial you know you, you sucked me in the minute you said it was from new zealand you i really knew got- i would <laughs> we were british last week i'm trying to be fair if anybody has any recommendations for james and i please do send them through on our socials facebook instagram or twitter feel free to go away and listen to snowballs along with james in the meantime and we will see you next week if you've enjoyed this podcast please do remember to give us a five-star review on whichever podcast platform you're listening to us on there are far too many injustices happening out there and it is fundamental that we shine a light (laughs) on these darknesses. It is, James. All right. Talk to you on the other side. Talk to you on the other side, buddy. Now, just a note for our listeners, you may have recognized that today's review was slightly different. We've decided to veer away from the rating out of 10 system towards process we deem to be a bit more fair for the quality of the podcast that we're reviewing. Ollie, being the podcast queen that she is, has only been recommending podcasts of an extremely high quality. And for this reason, we're deciding moving forward to review podcasts based on who we think will like this podcast and why. We need to give a massive thank you to Kerry Jackson, the executive producer of Shreds, who gave us access to original content. And as always, thank you to MJ from Multi Design for our theme music.